you to take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 3. I hope that's the heartbeat for all of us that no matter what this world has to offer, give me Jesus. And um, you know, that was Paul's life and his testimony in Philippians 3. He says, I count everything as lost for the sake of Christ. And you know, that's a good um, passage to kind of think through. And uh, is my life Christ? So that when he says back in chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, that was such a personal testimony. You know, he used the personal pronoun for to me, me. And so for us, it's a challenge. Is that true for us? For to me to live is what? Right? Christ. Well, we want to say that, right? For to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain, which sounds like an incredible message, right? That the world would, would just laugh at. And what are you talking about? Death is gain. But death for the believer is gain. Because immediately you're in the presence of the Lord. I'd like for you to stand as we read Philippians chapter 3. Just a few verses this morning as we consider together um, Paul and in his view of knowing Christ. Chapter 3 verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But, verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of what? Faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. What a testimony we just read, Lord, from your word about a man who was walking down the wrong road and all those things that he counted as gain before knowing you, um, after knowing you, he says, I count them all as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
And I pray, Lord, that that's true for, for us this morning. That there's nothing more valuable to us than knowing you. It could be that there are many religious people in the world today, but true, truly only a few who have a relationship with you. And so I pray, Lord, that, that our focus today and throughout the week is on, on walking with you, on holiness, on godliness, on, on doing those things that please you. We thank you that we don't have to try on our own to do that, that you have empowered us, you've given us your spirit so that we can walk worthy of the call. And I pray that we would do so, that we would take on the responsibility that you have given us to walk worthy of the call, and that when people see us, indeed they see a display case um, of people who not only know the Lord, but are living for the Lord. So challenge us today in your word. May we glorify you in all that we do through song and through the message and may you find us, Lord, um, faithful this morning as we worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Christ, we pray. Let's sing this together, man. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that Rescue the souls of men. Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Sing to the Lord. Counselor, comforter, keeper, spirit, we long to Sing to the Lord. You are the one. 
Father, you are a wonderful, merciful Savior. That's just a few words that describe you. Lord, you are awesome. You're magnificent. We could go on and on and on talking about your greatness and your power. But God, that was just a song we wanted to sing to you, Lord, to, to know that you are the one we praise. You are the one we adore. You are the one that our hearts always hunger for. Father, help us today, Lord, if our, if our heart is hungering for anything else other than you, Lord, that you would turn our hearts back to you today. Father, because you are the one. You are the only one. The whole focus of our lives is you, Lord, not us. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this time that we can come together as a, as a family of believers here, Lord, that we can come together and honor you and worship you and adore you the way that you would have us to do. So, Lord, we thank you. We praise you this morning. These things I pray in your son's name. Amen. The choir is going to sing a song right now. It's a song that the Gettys wrote. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful little song. Uh, when I first saw the name of it, I didn't understand it, but I wish they had changed the name. It might have been a little bit different. It just takes the first line of the, the song and makes the name. But really, it kind of sums up everything. It says that my worth is not in what I own. It's my worth is not in who I am. It's not my worth. My worth does not come in what I have accomplished. And I found myself in the last month or so when I had a birthday and I've reached retirement age and kind of thinking about what I'm going to do and, you know, not retiring from the Lord, but retiring from the things that I've done in the last 48 years. <laughs> and, you know, I'm finding myself and saying, well, you know, what have I really accomplished? What, what, have I, what, have I, what has my life really meant? And, you know, then all of a sudden today, as we were going through these songs, and it was amazing that Thad uh, did the scripture that he read the scripture that he did this morning because we hadn't even discussed what, what, what we were doing. And, you know, it says, you know, what, what has my life been, been for? And then I came to the conclusion after going through this today, I woke up to it and I said, you know, it doesn't matter what my life, it doesn't matter what I have done. What has mattered is what Christ has done. He's the one that we praise. He's the one we adore. And so I just wanted us to think about that as we go through this time. And as the choir sings this song, my worth is not in what I own. 
And think about that. What has your life accomplished? Does it really matter? What matters is that you know Christ. What matters is the fact that you belong to Christ and that Christ has done it all. And we can thank him because nothing that we could have done would have made one difference, one bit of difference. So listen to the words of the choir as they sing, My worth is not in what I own.
with our youth are off this weekend on a retreat. And uh, we just want to say publicly we thank the Lord for our youth leaders and for all the youth that we have here at Grace. If you don't know who those guys are, come on Wednesday nights and, and you can walk right down to that youth room and you'll probably walk right back out. But there are a lot of uh, young people here at Grace and we're thankful for um, those that labor among us uh, faithfully proclaiming the word of truth. Aren't we thankful for them? You guys awake? It's going to be a challenge today. Um, and then also, we just want to make mention of Wednesday night. Wednesday night uh, is our fall festival. And um, it's a great opportunity for us to introduce ourselves to the community. And if you're in the area, you have nothing to do on Wednesday night, you want to stop by. Again, you may not stay. But you could stop by and you can welcome those that might be visiting with us uh, Wednesday night. It's a great opportunity for us to um, display... Uh, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, well, we are to the final four verses of Second Peter. Today, and the next probably week for sure, we'll be focusing in on these verses and kind of the theme for our time in the last four verses um, focuses in on instruction, instructions. And so what are the instructions that, that Peter gives to his readers? And while he obviously thought they were important for them, I would argue that the final instructions that Peter gives to his audience, to these believers, are important for us as well. How many of you are good at following instructions? I bet more women than men. You remember the test? Uh, maybe your teacher didn't do this when you were young, I don't know. But I remember one particular time a test was given. And I don't remember the class. I don't remember much about it. Other than I remember the teacher saying, be sure you read the instructions before you take the test. Well, I know it's hard for you to imagine, but just use your imagination. I wasn't always good at following instructions. And I remember that into the test, as I'm taking the test, because that's what I was interested in doing, there were several students that were just getting up and walking to the front and handing in their test. And I'm like, man, how are these guys doing it? Well, they read the instructions because, you know, the instructions on the test said only answer question one of the test. <laughs> I found some interesting, so I want you guys to be thinking about instructions. You'll take it better as we go through. If I show you some humorous, hopefully humorous to you. You see the chopsticks there and the instructions are good luck. Right? How many of you are good, you know, with the with uh, chopsticks. Well, I'm not. Some of you might be. I like this one the best. Campbell's Soup Instructions. Lift tab and pull to remove lid. Immediately slice fingertip on the edge of lid. 
throw lid very hard into garbage can so it knows what it's done. <laughs> you guys ever done that? Um, laugh at portion of directions regarding stove. Dump cold glob. What a picture. We all have that picture, right? Dump, that's why I don't like casseroles. Dump cold glob into microwave safe bowl. Lose appetite. <laughs> have you ever looked at that stuff? Uh, microwave until scalding on the edges and freezing in the middle. Stir until lukewarm throughout. And then ignore soup-coated walls of microwave forever. <laughs> How many of you have done that too, right? <laughs> uh, and that's what, what's going to happen when you get home. You, you may not remember anything else, but you're going to go, you know, I need to clean my microwave when I get home. <laughs> All right, well... We come to the final instructions here in 2 Peter, and he's giving these instructions, and this is important to remember, he's giving these instructions to believers. These are believers. And I think it's important that we understand kind of the context of the instructions. And I just wanted to kind of remind you, and I know you have great memories, but I wanted to remind you of where we've been um, just using one word in describing each chapter. So chapter 1 was about growing, all right? Chapter 2 was about warning. And then chapter 3 is about coming, the coming of the Lord Jesus. But I think it's important to understand the context. And so go back to um, chapter 1. I just want to show you this. You, you don't have to flip far. Back to chapter 1. In the context of these final instructions, I think it's very important that we understand here the context. Uh, chapter 1, look down in verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. Now notice verse 14. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. So Peter is about to go and be with the Lord. So there's this, like, this sense of urgency that one might get from reading this. That Peter has this urgency about him for the sheep because he's about to go and to be in the presence of the Lord. As he says in verse 15, uh, And I will also be diligent that at any time... After my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. And all these things, not just a portion of the letter, but all the things that Peter wrote about growing in the Lord, which he's referring to there in verse 14, but also about the warning, you know, that there are false teachers out there, that not everybody is on the same team. And then in, as you come to chapter 3, he talks about this, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think it's important to understand the context here with which uh, Peter wrote. Um, there's a story of a man and his family, and um, his father was dying of cancer. And it was around Christmas time. And um, of course, Christmas time, you, you give gifts, right? And so on the mind of the grandfather was giving gifts to his, specifically his grandchildren. And as he talked with his wife about what to get his grandchildren for Christmas, knowing that this would likely be his last Christmas with them, he decided that he would sit with them 
one-on-one. He had eight grandchildren. He didn't buy them anything. He brought them and had them sit next to him on the couch. And all eight grandchildren from ten on up sat next to their grandfather. And you know what he gave them? He gave them final instructions concerning how to walk with the Lord. Well, years later, when asked by a couple, there were a couple of the grandchildren, when asked what, what was the most meaningful Christmas, what was the one gift maybe that they received that, that um, just you know, was at the forefront of their thinking in their lives, without hesitation, both of the grandchildren said it was the present, the gift, the final instructions that our grandfather gave us about walking with the Lord. That's pretty solid when you think about it because at the end of life, really what else matters, right? It's Christ. And that's why Paul wrote, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's all about Christ and it's all about him. Listen, it's not just about him in the future. It's about him now, right now. And so that's kind of the the, uh, context of our, our, our time together is thinking about these final instructions. And so I want us to come to the text. Look in verse 14 of 2 Peter 3. There are four verbs that really kind of um, highlight this text uh, in 14 through 18. Uh, There are four verbs, and they're all imperatives. And we're going to talk about the first one here this morning. Look in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things... uh, Well, so you have to say, well, what's that therefore, therefore... Um, What's it referring back to? Uh, It's referring back to verse 13, where Peter writes, But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, because we are looking for these things, for the things yet future, we could say it this way, for the eternal things, since we look for these things, he says, therefore, beloved, Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Let me show you something real quick. You see that word look in verse 14? He says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things. That word look is used two other times in this passage. It's used in verse 12 and it's used in verse 13. And what's interesting is that both times that word is used, it's used in reference to eternity, to what's coming. Look, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What's that a reference to? The day of God is a reference to the eternal state. You remember we've talked about the day of the Lord, which refers to a period of judgment. But this is in contrast to that. Peter here is referring to the eternal state. So he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And then you go down to verse 13. But according to his promise, we are looking for. Here it is again. And you know, that, that word there, the word looking, it's an interesting word. It means continually looking. So the idea here is that the believer is continually looking toward eternity. Ugh. Man, there's a big distraction for us in that, isn't there? What's that distraction? Class? Now. Now is the distraction. But it's interesting that Peter, when he uses that term, 
he, he's not just thinking that they're looking one time for the coming of the Lord, but it's that they're continually looking for the coming of the Lord. <laughs> so, man, when you put it in this context about what he's about to say, it's pretty powerful. He says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, these things that we just highlighted there in verses 12 and 13, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Well, the first verb here that we have to deal with is the word be diligent. All right? Um, here it is. The word be diligent has the idea of intense effort. Intense effort. Um, the verb be diligent is a command that calls for this continual intense effort. Um, that's the responsibility of the believer. Now, listen. This is not a continual, intense effort on our own. Guys, listen. You know what's so wonderful about being a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a list a mile long. But one of, one, uh, one of the uh, lines there is, we have the spirit of the living God, the power that resides in us. Now, that's very important. Because in Galatians chapter 5, it says, walk by the what? Spirit. You can say it out loud. Walk by the Spirit. And so it's imperative that we know that in this life, as we're walking, as we're living to the glory of God, we're not trying to do this in our own efforts. We have the Spirit of the living God here. But Peter says here, it requires an intense, continual effort and what's not said here that's very important is this intense, continual effort is with the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a, several times this word is used. Um, one of those times is in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. And it's said in the context, you remember 2 Timothy, Paul's writing to a young pastor, right? And he's telling him... In verse 15, be diligent, right? There needs to be a continual effort on your part, Timothy, to present yourself approved to God, he says, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have taught God's word? Somewhere. I don't care if it's two-year-olds all the way through 99-year-olds. You've done that. Now, do you just show up and say, open your Bible? Or do you study? It takes effort. It takes intense effort. Um, in fact, the older I have gotten, the more intense effort there has been. And do you know, the more inadequate I feel. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, why in the world do you have me stand before people and teach your word? Because it is... The highest calling. And I am charged to open the word before you every week. But do you know if you're teaching those little two and three year olds, they deserve your best effort. Don't just walk in there and say, well, they're just two year olds. Oh, my friends, listen to me. When you teach those kids, you know what they're doing really well that adults have a hard time doing? They're paying attention. They listen to you even when you think they're out to lunch. They repeat something you've said, and you're like, huh? Happened to me this last Wednesday. This kid came up to me and said, Pastor Thad, do you remember you said you were going to? 
And I was like, oh my goodness, I did say I was going to. He remembered. Kids are listening, always listening. It takes a tremendous amount of work to teach the Word of God with the help of the Spirit. And it takes a tremendous amount of intense, continual effort for us as believers to be pleasing to the Lord. Well, as I was thinking about this word diligence, I don't know why, but um, this image came to mind about continual, intense effort. I love the Olympics. And when I'm watching the Olympics, I like watching those dudes. And do you see that effort? you see that water display? But man, they are digging, right, that ore in there. How many of you ever been um, uh, whitewater rafting, right? We came up to this point on the Ocoee, and we're coming to the last rapid. And right before it's our turn to go through that last rapid, our instructor gave instructions. And do you know what I was doing? Listen diligently as he was talking. Because before, listen, the raft before me, there was a person that fell out of the raft. And they kept going back through the rapid. And it just was like, you know, you're like helpless to help them. I'm like, I hope you make it. I didn't know what, right? You don't know what to do. You just see this person, you know, and they're coming up and, and they're going back under. And they're coming up and going back under. And buddy, I was attentive. And I remember the, I remember to this day, the last thing my instructor said, I was sitting just a little bit in front of him to the left, and he said, Thad, put that oar in the water and just keep digging, and dig and dig and dig. And I was like, buddy, I will keep digging, I promise, because I do not want to be like that dude. So when I think about intense effort, that's what comes to my mind. Um, but in the context of spiritual things, there is um, a story of a life of a man who was a well-known preacher. Um, and this well-known preacher, I'm not going to tell you who he was because then you'll be like thinking about him. I want you to think about what he did. His diligence, his continual effort was seen in his study. It's said of him that from 4 a.m. to 10 p.m. daily, he worked on his sermons. <laughs> you hear that? 4 a.m.? to 10 p.m., taking just a few breaks for nourishment for food, which over his lifetime was some 44,000 messages. At the age of 83, he recognized that he could not write more than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. I read that, and I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, what a struggle it is for maybe even believers just to give you an hour. Now he's talking about 15 hours. And at age 86, he was ashamed to admit that he could preach no more than twice daily. My friends, listen to me. That is an illustration of tremendous diligence. And that's the effort here that, that Peter's talking about in 2 Peter chapter 3. But notice what he says. 2 Peter 3, he says... Beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. So he's saying, be diligent to be found by him in peace. How will the Lord find you? That's the question that comes from this. How will the Lord find you? 
Well, he says, be diligent to be found by him in peace. It's like, what in the world is he talking about? Well, you know how I am whenever I get to a passage and go, what in the world is he talking about? I got to do some research and some study. And so I did. And do you know there are about five different views on peace and what Peter's addressing here? So I'm going to give you all five. And I'm going to tell you uh, the two that I really like. All right? Not that they're not all important, but the two I like. Um, the first one is positional peace. Positional peace. Um, in other words, um, having peace with God. Uh, it speaks of relationship, right? Personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Um, and there's a distinction between relationship and fellowship, and we're going to get to that. But is he talking about positional peace? Well, let me ask you a question. Is it important to be at peace with God? Answer, yes. Positionally, that's very important. Because if you die and you're not at peace with God positionally, you know where you're going to be? Hell. That's not a message that people necessarily today are like, hey, hold on a second. I thought everybody was going to heaven. But as we've learned from God's word, as students of the word, the road is wide that leads to destruction. And many are on that road and narrow that leads to life and fear on that road. Man, you look at that and you go, man, we need to give the gospel to people. That just makes me want to give the gospel. You need to get saved. Um, Paul talks about it in Romans. In chapter 4 of Romans, he argues that Abraham was justified by faith. And because he was justified by faith, he had peace with God. It says, Abraham in chapter 4 Believed God and it was credited to. That's an, an accounting term. It was credited to him as what? As righteousness. Mm. Well, then you go to chapter 5, verse 1. After he's made that argument that Abraham was justified by faith, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Notice that little pronoun there we Paul's including himself and all who've been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ listen to me there is nothing in us that is righteous if you're a believer today in Jesus Christ you've been draped with the righteousness of Christ and the only reason that you're worthy is because you've been covered with the righteousness of Christ. That's very important to understand because man's walking around like, hey, I'm good enough. And, and, and like when I meet the man upstairs, I'll be fine. I'm just going to go, hey, look, I went to this church. I sat under that dude every week. He got older and fatter. But every week, he opened God's word, right? He opened your word, and I'm good because I was associated with him wrong listen to me if you want to end up in heaven with the Lord you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior period and you know what's so wonderful about it it's faith plus what nothing else and it's faith in a person and guys I, I knew it was going to take me a long time but it's faith in a person Right? I think a lot of people think, well, I go to this church and I'm saved. I'm sitting under this dude and I'm saved. And I give money and I put it in the plate and I'm saved. No. 
That's not it. And the whole argument in chapter 4 about Abraham is that he believed God. And it was credited to him. It was accounted to him as righteousness. I I don't know if this little analogy is going to even make sense to you. But if, if a strawberry represents you and me, and the chocolate represents the Lord's righteousness, I need to be covered with the chocolate. I don't know why that image came to my mind this week. I'm like, Lord, these pictures, it's always about food. But I need to be covered with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to me, friend, this is so wonderful. When you're covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you are in him, there's nothing you can do to get out of it. You say, yeah, but I go through periods of times where I'm really wretched. Well, so do I. And I wake up in the morning as I look in the mirror and I'm like, sometimes I'm just really wretched. But you know what, guys? I'm in Christ and I've been forgiven and I've been covered with his righteousness so that I am acceptable to God. I can't even imagine that. Can you imagine that? I'm acceptable to God, but it's only because of the righteousness of Christ. If you don't, listen, if you don't hear anything else I say today, remember that. Ooh, it gets me fired up. I get excited. Because it's all about him. It's all about his righteousness. All right. Well, that's the first view. And it's 1122. <laughs> the second view is that Peter may be talking about peace with men. Now, I don't think he's talking about the first one because he's writing to believers who are already, who are already at peace with God. I don't believe that's where he's leaning. Uh, Some do. I respect that. Some do. Some believe he's talking about peace with men. Well, I don't see any indication that he's talking about peace with men. But is peace with men important? Shake your head. Yes. It's testimony. Absolutely. In fact, there's a verse for that. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to make it up. It's in the Bible. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible. (laughs) Underscore that. (laughs) And just keep underscoring that till you've gone down the page and you've left the page. If possible, so far as it depends on who? On them? No, man. You know, the Lord's always doing that. He's always putting it on us. And that's where it needs to be. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That was challenged just yesterday. Yeah, Lord, he always does that. I was like, you know, this is one of those... I'm driving in the parking lot at the grocery store. Don't you love parking lots? There's a whole lot of peace going on at parking lots. Wrong. I drive in the parking lot, and you know, when you're going to a parking spot, sometimes somebody will walk across in front of you, and sometimes they'll really get going, you know? But yesterday, I just happened to come to the point where I needed to park, and this person wasn't walking like I was there and about to park. This person did like this. Have you ever had that happen? What goes on with you? I'll tell you what goes on with me. Get out of the way. Move. And as this person is walking across the parking lot like this in front of my spot, they look at me and go, 
which means if you didn't understand that, don't hit me. Well, I wasn't going to hit the person, but I certainly, have you ever wished you just had those bumper cars where you could just bump them? Peace with men. You know why that's so hard for us today? Because there's a worldview out there that's totally against the Lord and totally against His Word. And boy, we're challenged when we run up against unbelievers. But they need the gospel. They need to know the Lord. So we have to watch our testimony. Well, I don't think that's what he's talking about here, but it's important to know. Thirdly, peace in the church. Whew. That's easy. We don't even need to say anything else about that, right? There's always peace in the church and harmony in the church. Not true. Uh, when I was a young guy in a Bible church, our church went through a split over legalism. Grace versus law. And it was ugly. And there was schism and friction, and there was not peace. There was not harmony. It was ugly. And do you know that Christians can get ugly? Well, I didn't know if you knew that. I thought I'd bring it up. Christians can get ugly. In fact, um, I want you to turn to Philippians. No, Philippians. I got you Ephesians. I'm going to give you Philippians. But Ephesians says, chapter 4, verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what needs to happen in the body. Well, in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 2. How many of you have just skipped over that verse? It's one of my verses that I'm like, wow. It would have been interesting to be present in Philippi when that letter was read. Because as the letter's being read and you come to what we have as chapter 4, verse 2, it says, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Imagine this, that your names are written forever in God's Word, and that's what it is. Live in harmony in the Lord. Is peace within the body of Christ important? Answer, absolutely it is. You know what I've found over the years that and this is just a suggestion, but one of the, over the years I have found this to be true. That there are many times as believers, in order to keep harmony, there has to be humility. And I want to tell you that one of the most difficult things for men, I won't speak about the women, I know better, but one of the most difficult things for men is humility. And maybe it is even true for some of you wonderful ladies that humility is difficult. But it's essential in order to maintain harmony within the body. Well, I don't think that's what he's talking about. You're like, oh, that, okay, that, when are we going to get to what he's talking about? Well, the next two I think are pretty close and... I kind of like both of them, and I think they both kind of fit. Um, 
The next one is peace with the Lord in terms of fellowship. In other words, my walk, holiness, godliness, how will he find me? Will he find me, if you just want to say it this way, will he find me walking with him? It seems to be that um, the next two words in the verse give us some, maybe some hint as to what he's talking about, that this is a pretty good possibility. Because notice what he says. Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. And then what does he say? Spotless and blameless. Uh, you should have that in your notes. The term spotless means without blemish. One who is irreproachable. Who's above reproach. Do you know that that's um, as you lead into discussing leadership within the church and you're talking about elders, it says that he is what? Above reproach in his testimony. Um, that's a tall order. And then the word blameless means that which cannot be blamed. That which cannot be blamed. And so I really believe that this is a pretty good one because I think that in the context of the passage, that's exactly what Peter may be talking about. Talking about their fellowship with the Lord. Um, is fellowship with the Lord important? Answer? Yes, we already talked about the relationship piece, right? We've already said that when a man is justified, right, he's declared righteous, he's at peace with God. We're talking here about fellowship. And I believe it is one of the greatest challenges that you and I face. Walking with the Lord on a daily basis. You remember last time, you might not because it was a couple weeks ago, but we used... Enoch is an example. How was he found? That he what? He walked with God. And in Hebrews it's recorded that he what? He pleased the Lord. I think that man is pretty good at thinking about how to please other men. I think, in fact, I think we think a lot about that. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. But I think we walk in buildings thinking about how am I going to please this person? Or how am I going to please that person? Think about this. How transforming would it be if our thought every morning is, Lord, I want to please you. And you know what I'm not going to be concerned about? Man. Because if I'm walking by the Spirit and I'm being controlled by the Spirit, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to please God. And as I please God, I can't, I'm not responsible for how man accepts that. Right? I can't, listen, I'm walking with the Lord. And the world needs to see us walking with the Lord. They need to see a difference in us. And if you're, you want my opinion, which you may not, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, I think one of the greatest challenges that there is is for unbelievers to see us walking as salt, that we're tasty. I think to most people, Christianity just looks like, ugh. Who wants to go sit in a building and have a list of rules and you can only do this and you can't do that and all that? When I can just write my life, I can do what I want to do and I'm not accountable to anybody. Remember in the context of the passage, these false teachers, they weren't worried about the coming of the Lord. Because there's no accountability. My friends, listen to me. Here's the challenge, and we need to remember this. There is accountability for us. 
for us as believers. We know the unbeliever is going to stand before the great white throne judgment and be condemned forever. And while there's no condemnation, as Paul wrote, my friends, listen to me, there is judgment. There's judgment. We're going to stand before a holy and righteous God. The Bible says that while positionally we don't have a thing to worry about because we're in Christ and we've been sealed by the Spirit, it does matter how we walk. Matters. And if you say, well, it doesn't really matter, it matters to him. It matters. Well, I kind of think that's a good one. I think it's good based on the context. But it's interesting that this next one, which is the last one, is good too based on the context. Um, So I'm going to give it to you because I want you to have it. But before I give it to you, let me give you two verses that I forgot to give you. These deal with how will the Lord find us in terms of our walk. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, it says, Now little children, abide in him. That word abide means to remain in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Wow. There was a point in time, if you think about it, I mean, you could, you could take illustration after illustration in the Bible. If the Lord would have come, he'd have found some of his people not walking worthy of the call. Think about it. There was a period in David's life he wasn't doing so well. Remember that? Right? You just take the church at Corinth, and you read through that, and you're like, this is, this is a group of believers? They weren't doing so well in many chapters in 1 Corinthians. Many things in their life. They were prideful, they were arrogant, there was, a, there was schism in their church. They weren't honoring the Lord at his table. They were drunkards. They were selfish. And do you know what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? Ephesians 2, 10 says, we are his display case. That word was mentioned, that verse was mentioned the other night in our, in our Awana, and I said... I told the kids, I said, you know what that word means, workmanship? It means that we're his display case, right? And I love uh, grocery stores, and I love to look at displays. And one of the reasons I do is because I used to um, work at grocery stores, and I love display cases because I used to get some samples. That was one of the reasons. But I always remembered there were two displays that I could never forget. One was Coca-Cola. They were always out front. Amen? And Frito-Lay, always out front. Two of my greatest snacks, right? Coke with Fritos, got to have some bean dip. But, but that was the picture, right? And so, and so you have uh, these dis- this display case. And this display case gets people's attention. Do you know what? As a believer, we're to get people's attention. Do you know that? We're to get their attention as we walk with the Lord. Well... 1 John 2.28, we read that one. Then in 1 John chapter two, uh, 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know this, when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope, do you have that hope? Do you? My goodness gracious, one more time, brothers and sisters. Do you have that hope? Yes. Hope so. <laughs> 
Hope you have that hope. Because look what it says. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him. Listen to me. Our hope is not fixed on a church. Our hope is not fixed on a building. Our hope is not fixed on the wife sitting next to us or the children behind us. Our hope is fixed on Christ. He's our hope. And by the way, he's the only hope. That's it. Man, I just get so excited when I'm, I'm just excited. This is an awesome text. All right, well, one final view. But before we get to that final view, can I show you another verse? Here it is. And it's in contrast to, in contrast to the way believers walk. You remember what Peter wrote about these false teachers in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13? Look what it says. But these, these false teachers, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have not knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They, look at this. They counted a pleasure. We're going to run up against that word count next week. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. And look what he says about them. They are stains and blemishes. In contrast, what does he say for us in chapter 3? Spotless and blameless. Look at these false teachers, they are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. All right, and so the fourth view has to do with fellowship. Then the last one, and I think it does have some, something to be remembered for sure, is peace as it relates to uh, being saved from the wrath to come. Do you, did you know that, um, that wrath is coming? That the wrath of the Lord is coming. We've spent time looking at that in this chapter. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, look what it says. For God has not destined us. Circle that. Please circle that. Paul's talking to a, a church, a group of believers, and he's including himself in this. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. Deliverance is the idea. Deliverance through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, listen to me. Not only did Jesus Christ deliver you, right, from the wrath to come, meaning you're born again, you're a believer in Christ. He's delivered you from the penalty of sin. But listen to me. He's going to deliver us to himself. He says, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Who died for us. So that whether we are awake, meaning physically alive, or asleep, meaning physically dead, we will live together with him, underscore those words. And that's why he closes the section. <laughs> Therefore, encourage one another and build one upon one another just as you also are doing. I showed you that timeline a few weeks ago. And the next event on the calendar of our Lord is the rapture of the church. But subsequent to that rapture is what? The tribulation period. My friends, all you need to do this afternoon after you eat, read the book of Revelation and look at the wrath to come. It's coming on earth. It's coming. It's going to be ugly. But do you know our gracious and compassionate and merciful God is delivering us from that. He's delivering us from the wrath to come. And so I think that Possibly because of the context of the passage as well. Because he's talking about the coming of the Lord 
that this peace is peace meaning saved from God's wrath. I leave you with a question and an illustration. How will the Lord find you? How will the Lord find you? you and you, you just say that back to me, right? You're, you do that. Thad, how will the Lord find you? Well, I hope he finds me walking with him. Um, there is a, an illustration by Chuck Swindoll that I thought was really good. And the point of the illustration is that we as disciples of Christ would be walking with the Lord. That that's the responsibility that we have. He wrote this, Have you ever smelled old, rotten meat? Remember forgetting for several weeks that you put it in the refrigerator? There is an odor that accompanies decay that's like nothing else. He says, Down in Houston where I was raised, we were only 50 miles from the seaport city of Galveston. Delicious, fresh seafood was available in numerous restaurants in that area. And still is. But there were all... but. There were other ways we used to use seafood, especially shrimp. When a friend would get married, one of our favorite tricks was to secretly pull off the hubcaps of his getaway car and stuff them full of shrimp. It was great, he says. Those shrimp wouldn't make any noise as they sloshed around hour after hour in the heat of South Texas. But the result was unreal. After two or three days of driving, parking in the sun, stop and go traffic, the bride, bless her heart, would start, slowly start sliding over closer to the door, saying to herself, has he forgotten to put on his deodorant? As the day wore on, he would begin to wonder the same about her. All the while, those little shrimp were doing their thing in each will. And sometimes they wouldn't discover what was going on for up to even a week. And then they would figure it out. And they would pop off the hubcap. And as he writes, I don't need to tell you the result. It's just gross. He says, to keep shrimp, you must preserve them. If you don't, they perish. Years ago, he says, salt was used. Today, we use ice more often. Then he says, think of this earth as shrimp. The earth's inhabitants are in a continual state of perishing. We, believers, are salt to the world. And the question that we must ask ourselves are we as believers being noticed for having lives that are different? How will the Lord find you and how will he find me? Let's pray together. Lord, this passage that we have been challenged with today is a great reminder of the moment we are taken to be with you. How will you find us? Will you find us at peace with you in our fellowship? Will we be walking with you? Oh Lord, I don't need to say anymore. 
I just need to say, I pray that your spirit would work in the hearts and lives of believers today, that we would understand the importance of being a display case to the world, that our light would shine, that we would be tasty to people, that they would wonder what in the world is going on with that person. How can they have joy in the midst of sorrow? I pray that as those doors open, Lord, that you would help us to just walk through those doors trusting you, believing in your word, knowing that the answer is Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. Help us to be ambassadors for the gospel of Christ and help us by your Spirit, to live every day to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, please sing with me, please. All I once held dear built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own all I once thought gain I have counted loss spent and worthless now my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you, and known as yours, to possess by faith what I could not earn and surpassing gift of righteousness knowing you Jesus knowing you there is no my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Oh, to know the power of your risen life, and to know you in your suffering, to become like you in your death my lord 
so with you to live and never die knowing you Jesus knowing you there is no greater thing you're my My joy, my righteousness, you're my all, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, you're my all, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love.